0: You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. Well, welcome to week three of our I Love Sundays. We're learning how to make Sundays the best day of our week. If you would, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22, or like always, you can uh, follow there on the screen. More importantly than just uh, learning how to make Sunday the best day of our week, we are learning to live more balanced lives by living in a better way, in a better rhythm, at a better pace. Yesterday, my pacemaker almost wasn't pacing during that football game. Some of you can identify with that. So I've had to learn to relax, and uh, Dick Brenneman asked me that all the time. We played in the golf tournament this week, the Childs Layman golf tournament. And asked me when I went to Alabama, when we leave, am I going to relax? I said, Dick, I have been trying all my life, and it's just been so hard. But you know how it is. We need to relax. The book of Ecclesiastes says that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. We're learning that Sunday can be the best day of our week because God designed it as a Sabbath. For us to rest, you remember what I said last week, for us to rest, refuel, and refocus. So today, we're going to explore how a good Sunday can help improve your family life. Now, do you believe that? Isaiah 58, 13, and 14, let me read it again as we read it last week. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. Isaiah wrote these words almost 3,000 years ago. And you need to understand that God's promise is still true today. In other words, if you and I call the Sabbath a delight, we will ride in triumph on the heights of the land. And my hope is all of us are ready to learn to ride and triumph today. One of the great challenges of our day is to raise great kids in the midst of a 90-mile-per-hour culture. You see, we move so fast. And have so many opportunities and obligations, it's hard to find time to be together as a family, much less enjoy your family. Can I get an amen on that? And when we are together, we're usually driving to a soccer game or basketball practice or volleyball practice or cheerleading practice or something some type of a performance, or while we're driving. Every kid in the car has their earphones in and listening to something other than the family's conversation. Now, let me just tell you how that would have went in my car with my family if my daddy was driving and I had earphones. It would be like this. (laughs) Make sense to some of you? Uh Uh-huh, some of you were raised that way. But let's talk about that. Today, I want to help you learn to use Sunday, Sundays, to build better families. Some of you live alone, but you're going to find this message incredibly helpful as well. Now, I want to give you seven practices that will help you or everyone you love, okay? That will help everyone you love, whether you are related to them or not. Every principle I give can apply to helping nieces and nephews and grandsons and granddaughters and every other member of the next generation you have influence on. Now, I'm primarily, parents, you need to hear me today because I'm talking to a lot of you with younger kids, okay? So, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 22, 6. And this one little verse we're about to read contains one of the most Imported principles ever given in the history of parenting. This proverb was composed by Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived. Now, you know how kerosene is called a fire starter? Well, this verse is a child starter. So listen to this, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, the NIV says, start children on the way they should go. Now, if you were to pull out a compass and take me by the shoulders and point me to the north and start walking, well, which way would I be really heading? North, not south. Where would I end up? North pole or south pole? The north pole. Listen, it's far more likely that's where I would end up. In this verse, Solomon is saying that the first push is the most important push. We might not always end up precisely due north of wherever we started, but chances are very, very good we'll end up mostly due north, won't we? Years ago, I love this, Sir Isaac Newton identified what we call the first law of thermodynamics. He said, an object in motion tends to remain in motion with the same direction and speed. And I think of it as the law of the first push, and it comes from Proverbs 22:6. How is it that Eli Manton and Peyton Manning became quarterbacks? Do you think it has anything to do with their father, Archie Manning, who was an NFL quarterback? What direction do you think he pushed them in? How is it that George Clooney became an actor? Do you think it had anything to do with his aunt, Rosemary Clooney, who was also an actress? What direction do you think she pushed him? The direction you... Listen... The direction you start your children determines the destination where they are likely to arrive. If you can see that, then you can understand why practice number one is the most important of the seven practices that I'm going to give you today. This is really, again, a sermon to you parents today, but it can apply to all of us, okay? So the first, practice of successful parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and discerning leaders is to, number one, put God first. Put God first. You know the phrase, first things first? God wants to be the first of all first in your life, for your sake, and for the sake of those who follow you as well. In Jesus' famous sermon on the mount, He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Parents and grandparents, the best gift you can give your children and grandchildren is not to love them first, but to love God first. Hear that. Look at this. Your children are far more likely to follow the direction you set than the directions you give. Put God first, and your children will more likely do the same. Amen to that. You've heard the expression, the acorn never falls, what, far from the tree? Well, your little acorns are going to grow up to look a lot like you. And just like the expressions, Monkey see, monkey do, your little monkeys will look a lot like you. If you've ever studied the Ten Commandments, you probably remember that the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. God wants to be, listen, first in your life. Because whatever you put first in your life will have the most influence on your life. And he wants to be the one who influences you the most. So what does it mean to put God first? Well, putting God first means spending time with him, caring for what he cares about, using your money the way he would use it if it were his. Putting God first means honoring Him on the Sabbath and honoring Him with your words, attitudes, and ethics at work. Putting God first means honoring Him with how you treat your body, what you eat, and how you exercise. I know those are tall orders, and there's grace. I mean, you won't be perfect. But if you are trying to honor God... Your children will see that and imitate it. And when you fall, when you fail, they'll see that it's okay for them to be imperfect too. You know on the airplane, when the flight attendant is given the safety instructions? I know you hate that like I do. She says, should the oxygen mask Appear above your head. You remember what to do? Put yours on before you try to help others with theirs. You don't have to tell me that twice. What she's really saying is you've got to make sure you're breathing right before you have any help, any hope of helping your children or anyone else. So your first practice is to put God first. Once God is first, your second practice is to let your kids see your relationship to God. When Moses was preparing to send the Israelites into the promised land, he wanted them to know how to pass on their faith to others. So he decided to spell it out for them very carefully. I love Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is what he said. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost. Of your house and on your gates. Now, you know, if you go to Israel today, and some of you are going next March, you'll see a little box on the doorframe of every Jewish house. You know what it is? It's a scripture box. The Jews take this passage very, very seriously that they literally put scriptures on the doorframes of their houses. This passage of scriptures became one of the most important in Israel's history. It may be why they are still Israelites today. Back when Moses wrote this, there were Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Peresites, Hivites, Jebusites, bites. Listen, today the only ones... The only ones are the Israelites. How did the Israelite civilization survive when all the others died off? Simple. Very, very simple. Hear this. The Israelites talked about their faith with their children. Guess what? Parents let their kids in on their relationship with. With God. You see, generation after generation was passed on what was imported. More than 3,500 years later, the Israelites are still talking about their faith with their children. Listen, share your faith with your family. Now, me and Lori, we used to share stories with our girls all the time when they were young. I mean, not only our victories, but our defeats and the reason for them. And man, we would share scripture around the dinner table. You remember when we used to eat meals together? I'll get into that in a little bit. Huh? Y'all remember that? Today, most families don't even gather around the table to eat more than one meal together because of their children's hectic schedule. Hmm. Hmm. In our culture, one of the most sacredly guarded secrets is how much money we make and how we spend it. Now, you didn't think I was going to just stay here for two more weeks and not mention money again, did you? Yet Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, if you are going to start your children outright, it will help them to see your heart and your budget. You understand, the third practice in raising healthy children is to show them how to allocate and spend money in a healthy way. The only real way to do that is to let your kids see your spending. In Jesus' second most famous sermon, on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. At about 17 or 18 years old, when your kids are fully trained, chances are they are going to be a lot like you. So teach them your best skills and your best practices. Their best chance for learning how to give, save, spend, and invest is to see how you give, save, spend, and invest. And parents, the truth is we have an incredibly affluent society. According to the global rich list, if you earn 36,000 or more a year, you rank in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. I'm talking to a lot of wealthy people in here today, aren't I? Which means that your children are going to grow up affluent. This is what Jesus said. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required." be required. Your children have been given much, so much will be required of them. One of the most important skills you can pass on to your kids is the wise handling of money. One of the most important pieces of wise money management is generosity. How much you give not only indicates the size of your heart, but it develops the size of your heart. So here's that verse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Can you imagine the Lord telling you to put him to the test and not following through on this promise here? Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven For you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Says God not Al. This is so important to God that it's the only time he gives a command with permission to test me in this. God promises that when you faithfully bring the tithe to your local church. He will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to store it. You know, every time we turn on any screen, ads pop out shouting, Buy me, try me, taste me, wear me, put me in your hair. Well, not to me. Huh? The pressure to spend is enormous. And we don't have to leave our sofa, do we? How many of you are friends with Amazon like me? Huh? Liars. Open your hand. Raise your hand. Amen. You know, I'm telling you. So every, listen. So every year or two, walk your kids through your budget and let them see how you figure out your priorities and what you spend on. Practice number four may be even more important. Let your children tithe. Let your children tithe. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You know, the simplest form of a healthy budget that I know of is called the 10-10-80 plan. Under the 10-10-80 plan, you tithe your first 10%, you save the second 10%, and live on the other 80%. And if you want to teach your children uh, this plan, start them off with an allowance that divides easily by 10 So if you give them a dollar... Allowance, don't give them a dollar bill. Make sense? Give them 10 coins that at least includes two dimes. So they can put the first dime in their tithe envelope, the other dime in their bank for saving. Okay? And the rest of their allowance. I mean, just think about it. If you give them a $5 allowance, what? You give them four $1 bills and change so they can put 50 cents into their tithe envelope? And 50 cents into their save envelope. You get the idea, right? Because of our affluence, generosity is one of the biggest challenges for our society. Studies show that the more money Americans earn, the smaller percentage we give. But the sooner you start giving, the easier it is the easier it is to give when we start giving. Children who learn to give before they spend rarely have trouble being generous in life later on. Teach your children to tithe, and then make it easy for them to tithe. The 10, 10, 20 plan with them. Celebrating every time they bring their time to church is what you need to do. Celebrate with them and helping them figure out what they are saving their second 10% for. Practice number five is serve at church together. This is where the Sunday part of child rearing comes into your practices. Several years ago, Eric Swanson of Leadership Network published a study about children who grew up in church and wound up loving God when they were adults. Leadership Network's study found that these children experienced two things in their families of origin. The first was their families served God somewhere together in the church. And according to Swanson, children whose parents served at church Found and found ways for their children to serve with them were much more likely to grow up to love God than children who didn't. And fortunately, at our church, there are several ways that adults and children can serve together. You know, decades ago, when most families owned farms, children grew up with significant chores and responsibilities. Today, the church is one of the few places where a child can truly contribute and feel valued. And the results are eternal, as well as great for your family's sense of health and identity. One great place family members can serve together is on what I would call a cross-cultural mission trip. This leads to our sixth practice. Send or take them on a cross-cultural mission trip. The second item on Leadership Network study of what helped kids to grow up to love God was going on a missions trip. An amazing thing happens to American kids on mission trips. They discover how great their lives are here at home. You see, most kids who spend time in Mexico or Haiti or other less affluent countries, come home and thank their parents for all that they have. I'll give you a couple of stories. One is, uh, we went to Mexico, we went to Reynosa, Mexico many, many years ago, um, and and several years in a row. And at the time, there was this one guy that went in, uh, that was with us, went into a store. Now, when I say a store, it's just made of wooden crates and this and this and a little block building just tiny, I'm um, 10 by uh, 16, and there was these two little boys that he saw playing in a 55 gallon trash can, in and out, in and out, and he brought them in to the store, and he said, go pick out anything you want in the store, and they had some decent stuff. And both of them came to him, and both of them had a pencil. And this is what they said. We Want this, because it has an eraser, our other pencils are so short, and it hurts the nubs of our fingers when we try to erase. Number one. Then Amberly, our oldest daughter at the time, was seven or eight, and Megan was three or four, and I don't know if they were on the same trip or the other trip. Lord, you can correct me later on this, as you usually do, but, <laughs> but both of them had an experience, we were going to Mexico, and it was always June or July, or either we did the Christmas trip, it would be in December. But on this particular one, it was in the summer. So in November, Emily had told her school teacher, I think she was first grade, hey, we're going to Mexico. What are you doing over there? Well, we're going to go over there, and we're going to do some mission work and this and this. She took off her wristwatch and gave it to her and said, I want you to go give that to somebody when you go. And Emily's going, okay, You're like, who did I give this to? She comes home and tells us this story in November. When we leave to go six or seven months later, Amberly has this watch. We go, and we're there the second or third day, and we're out there building a little, helping build a little church, and we can't find Amberly. We weren't freaking out. We ask, "Hey, has anybody seen Amberly?" Oh, she went over there with Miss So and So, Miss So and So, some of the ladies of our church that went. Well, we walk over there, and here's this pastor's wife. Holding Amberly like this and just hugging her. And Amberly's looking straight at me. And the pastor's wife is crying. And then my ladies are crying. And I'm saying, Well, what's going on? Well, Amberly gave her the watch. Well, I thought that was sweet, but it was just a little too different. And I said, Well, that is awesome. They said, Well, let me tell you what happened. Amberly's around six or seven years old. She had been praying for a watch for about six years almost at the time of conception. Do y'all hear where I'm coming from? Megan got strep throat. We're across the border, having to go back into McAllen, Texas. She's about four, I guess. We go across the border. She gets to the doctor. The doctor says, you got strep throat. If I give you pills, you can't go back. You're going to have to stay around back from every, away from everybody for about three days. But I give you a shot, you can go back across the border. My daughter was old enough to say, Give me the shot. They pulled those little pants down, shot her in the leg, and she went back. Y'all understand what I'm saying? That happened to both of our kids. But I have seen God move in so many ways through mission trips. While they're on the trip, they realize they can make a difference in other people's lives. Giving them a new perspective about making their life count. No matter where God leads them. In their adult career. Well the last practice. Is to help your children find. Godly mentors. Parents. What do you do. When your children. Don't want to listen to you anymore. Now I know we don't have any parents in here. Where your children never wanted to listen to you. Listen to this. Mark Twain once gave this bit of advice. About raising teenagers. He said. When your child turns 13, you should stick them in a barrel and feed them through a knothole. <laughs> then he said, when they turn 16, cover up the knothole. <laughs> now, probably not the greatest parenting advice But somewhere between ages 11 and 14, something happens to every child, man. They start to be cool and have parents who aren't. A gap starts to open in communication and influence. This is where the church can shine. Because at this same time, kids begin to look up to older kids. Especially those in their late teens and 20s. And that's why it's so important in student ministry that some of these students to be godly leaders to some of these younger ones. And our students have some great leaders in this age group. During the preteen and teen years, a young person needs a role model they can look up to and relate to. Church becomes such an important part of a teenager's character formation because it can supply your help. Listen, it can supply you help. By introducing your middle schoolers and high schoolers to young people who have great values and are willing to mentor younger people. This is a part of why I love Sundays. Because I love what happens to kids in this critical stage where they need mentoring. In my humble opinion, Sunday small groups should be the highlight of your week. And the highlight of the week for every member of your family. Now let me close. I have four suggestions on how that can happen for you. The first one is this. Make Sunday family day. Anchor your Sundays in church. Then continue spending quality time together at home and beyond. And guess what? Make it fun. Take time to breathe together And build time for connection in ways that resonate with your family's personality. Play, connect, and seek balance between scheduled events and the freedom to relax and choose some spontaneous activities. Number two, talk meaningfully. Ask questions over Sunday lunch or dinner. You can do this today. Questions like, what was the most interesting part? about the sermon or class lesson at church today. Next, if you could pick your own name, what would it be? What is the nicest thing a friend has ever done for you? What is your earliest memory? Now, for some of us, we can't remember what we just said, okay? But I hope you'll try this, you know, maybe this later this afternoon or this evening, It could be a significant way to bond and build family identity as well as have fun together. Next, explore God. In other words, take a hike together or doing something in nature to experience the incredible place God has made for us. And lastly, serve together. Take what I talked about earlier, leadership network suggestion to find something to do around here regularly as a family. You see, it would help our entire church family and really, really, really benefit your family for a long, long time. Let me read you this verse one more time. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. One of the great things about God is that His mercies are new every morning. Amen? So it's never ever too late to start if your kids are still in the home start something with them today if your kids are grown like ours give them a call and tell them you love them sometime before the sun goes down i love sundays because sundays are so helpful for family now let me tell you this quickly Lori and I didn't do everything right when it came to raising our kids. We made some mistakes along the way. But fortunately, we did a few things right by accident. Because we have always been in ministry. By the time our kids were four and five years old, they learned to serve with us every single Sunday. They would help with set up and tear down and participated in a lot of our ministry events. When they got older, they helped with and went on mission trips, as I said earlier. One day, I woke up and realized that both of my kids really, really loved the Lord. And today, as you know, our oldest daughter is happily married and lives in Arizona, a school teacher and sings on her church's praise team. Our youngest daughter, as of a month ago, is now on staff at her church in Daphne, Alabama, across the bay from Mobile, and sings on her church's praise team. And by God's grace, they consider their mother and me to be two of their very best. Friends, we could have done a lot of things better, but if we had to do it over again, we'd still include every commitment we made to the local church in our child raising plans. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for creating us for rhythm and rest. And thank you for creating children and entrusting them to us. Father, would you help those of us who have children in our homes to start them off on the way they should go? And help all of us to make the Sabbath a delight. And Father, for those who are here today, Lord, moms and dads, Lord, that you've given the awesome responsibility, and Lord, who you will hold accountable and how they raise their kids, that God today would be a new day maybe in their life. That God, they would do things as unto the Lord. That God, they would let their kids, Lord, see their true heart. So Lord, today maybe there's some families that just need to get up out of their seat and come to the aisle and just pray together. Lord, none of us have it all together. Lord, all of us are a mess. God, I pray that you'll be with families today, that you'll restore families. But God, maybe some want to come and thank you that they're still together. They have a great family, but God, they will continue to ask you to help them. And for others, the Lord, they just need to grow closer together. Lord, maybe there's some spouses today that need to make a new commitment to be better leaders in their home, better parents. Maybe some children need to be better children. Lord, whatever needs to happen in this place today, I pray that it will, and I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.